Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. Hey, so uh, it's good to be here. I missed you guys last week. I, I was gone. It felt like forever. I was in El Salvador for the Vineyard Central American Conference, which was a lot of fun. Folks were there from seven different countries and uh, really just a gathering of uh, vineyard leaders and pastors. The focus of that conference was on leadership, and it was, it was really a, a great time. Uh, but it was also back-to-back with the Vineyard USA Conference in Denver, so I ended up flying from here to El Salvador, El Salvador to Denver, and then Denver home Friday. And uh, this last week I was in Denver at the Vineyard USA conference, and it was a great time. Uh, it really was, uh, it was meaningful for me, having been around the Vineyard movement for a long time, just to, to see the growth and the development of our family. Uh, it was really fun. I'll, I'll share one l- little thing that personally I, I enjoyed, is that so, so the vineyard is about 40 years old, and when it started, it was really a young people's movement. And most of the people involved in the vineyard were 19, 20, 21, which is right where I was. But over the last 40 years, we've, of course, gotten older, and a lot of the people in the movement have gotten older too. And so four years ago at the national conference, I noticed a lot of gray hair, which is fine, it's good, but, you know... You want to see change. And my heart has always been with young people and to see young people raise up. So this conference was a blast because there was just a lot of really young leaders and young people there. It was so fun to see uh, just the the transition and the growth in our movement. So I was excited about that. But uh, to be honest, I had a great time. I miss you guys. I I love being here with you guys. This is my family, and uh, it's hard to be away. So we have been, oh, and by the way, so we're studying the Gospel of Luke. Thank you, Tucker, for filling in last week and speaking. He did a great job. I listened to his message while I was in Denver. I I, uh, went back, I I ditched an afternoon session and went back to my hotel and took a little nap. And then I woke up, put my headphones on and listened to Tucker. It was great. It was fun. So he did a good job. Uh, but we're in, we're in Luke, and we are in chapter 7, continuing uh, our study in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, I want to start today, there's an old saying, and I'm sure you've heard this, maybe not, I'm, you probably have, uh, birds of a feather flock together. And so what that means is, of course, like when you see geese, you know, migrating, and they fly in that big V across the sky, it's all geese, right? There's, there's no sparrows or robins and when you see sparrows and they kind of fly like this they go all over but there's a big group and they're all together they're all sparrows same thing if you go to the coast and down at the beach there's seagulls there's there's no no robins or ostriches uh at the, at the coast it's all they're all the same um you never seen an ostrich at the coast come on but but really so but that's saying isn't really talking about birds. It's using birds as an illustration. It's really talking about people. And there's a tendency in people 
to sort of um, connect and hang out with people that are like you or me, ourselves. You're like yourself. So, so white people typically hang out with white people. Uh, very often, black people will tend to hang out with black people. Rich people hang out with other rich people. Poor people hang out with other poor people. Liberals hang out with liberals. Conservatives hang out with conservatives. I, I was, uh, I, I, so I frequent the Starbucks in Wilsonville. Uh, it's, I, I, I uh, affectionately refer to it as my office. And there's a group of older gentlemen there who, who meet and hang out. I think it's their office too. And they're all... Uh, very, very conservative. And I know this because sometimes my table is near their table and they make a point of letting everybody know they're conservative. And one day they were joking because one of their, one of their group purchased a Volvo. And they thought that was really funny that he's the only conservative that drives a Volvo in the world. <laughs> I mean, that's how, how homogenous their little group is. You, if you're part of that group, you can drive a Ford or a Chevy, period. That's it. Those are your only options. Um, religious people hang out with religious people. Non-religious people hang out with non-religious people. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I've, once or twice, I've talked about my faith with somebody and, and had somebody respond to me and say something to the effect of, yeah, well, I'll go to hell because why? All my friends will be there. Right? So even non-religious people say that we, we're kind of together. So people, we have our tribes. We all have our tribes, and that's normal. And, and, and frankly, it's the place where we feel comfortable. We feel most comfortable when we're with people like ourselves. For, I was at the Vineyard Conference this week, and it was, it was, that's my tribe. I've been part of the Vineyard Movement for 40 years. And frankly, when you're there, everybody looks the same. Everybody dresses the same. Everybody, it's, it's, we all like the same worship. We're, we're all, it's kind of just all the same group of people. That really is normal. That's just sort of the way we roll in our society, in our culture today. The thing is, and here's really the essence of what we want to talk about today, is that Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus would hang out with all different kinds of people. And he would seek out relationship with different groups of people. Now, just a few weeks ago, we were in chapter five, and you remember we saw Jesus at a party at Matthew's house. And he was criticized by the Pharisees because at that party, there were tax collectors and sinners and other known lowlifes. And Jesus was hanging out with them. Well, today, we're going to see Jesus at a very different kind of party with a different group of people. And so our title today is actually, go back one, Birds of a Different Feather. Uh, so I want to pray real quick, and then uh, we'll look at the text, and we'll talk about this party that Jesus goes to. Father, I just pray you would open our hearts to receive from you today, and that we would uh, grow in your word, and that our boundaries would be expanded. Uh, in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, Birds of a Different Feather. Okay, Thomas, go ahead to the next one. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears 
And then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. Go to the next one. Is it working? Hey, come on, man. Sleep at the wheel over there? When one of the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Keep going. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You judge correctly, Jesus said. And he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love is shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So Jesus was previously at a party with tax collectors and sinners. Now he is at a party with the Pharisees. Pharisees are a very exclusive club. I was thinking about this. They were sort of the highest level of the Jewish religious hierarchy. And I was trying to think, what would the contemporary you know, like equivalent of that be. And I don't know, in our movement, there really wouldn't be. I suppose if you were uh, Episcopalian or sort of a denominational church, it might be all the bishops or somebody together, I don't know. But they're kind of the higher ups, right? And so one of these guys, Simon, invites Jesus to dinner. Now, we don't know Simon's motivation. In other scriptures, other texts, we know that the Pharisees at times would try to trick Jesus or try to you know, throw him off his game a little bit. I don't know if that was their motivation here or not. I suspect it was, but, but it doesn't say that. So, uh, you know, we don't know for sure why they invited Jesus to this dinner party, but they did. What I do know is that I'm sure Jesus knew their motivation, but whatever it was, it didn't stop him. He still went. And, you know, I mean, free meal. They probably had good food. So, Jesus was comfortable around non-religious people. And when we see that, I think most of us go, yeah, cool, that's, that's cool, that's how we're supposed to be. But here's the thing, Jesus was all, also comfortable around religious people. These guys were like the moral majority. They were the far right. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm comfortable around them too. And here's the thing, the kingdom of God is radically, radically inclusive. It's radically inclusive. The kingdom of God is big and wide and it embraces everybody and it looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus. Uh, go to the next slide. Ephesians 5.1 says that we are to follow God's example as dearly loved children walk in the way of love. We, our calling is to break down the feather barriers and to hang out with some different birds. That's really part of what God has called us to do. Um, this is a 
a high society party, okay? And Jesus gets invited to join them. It tells us that they were reclining at table. This is a first century phenomena that I have yet to been, be able to figure out. But when they would eat, the table was low. It was just a few inches off the ground. And they would kind of lay down on one side with their arm up like this and then eat with the other hand. To me, that seems like the most awkward thing on the planet. But that's what they did. And so that was the sort of position that they were in when this, this woman who... Luke tells us is a sinful woman, but the reality is she was a prostitute. Luke's being gracious here. She shows up uninvited. So now, again, Jesus was an invited guest. She was not. She's a party crasher. She comes in, and she's, she's crying. She's weeping. She stands behind Jesus. He's laying on the ground. She's crying. Her tears are falling on his feet, uh, and she takes her hair and starts to rub his feet with her hair. She's kissing his feet, and she pours this perfume on them. I don't care what culture you're in, what century you're in, what context you're in. This is an awkward situation, okay? I'm just saying, this is about as uncomfortable as it could get. If I, Religious or non-religious, if I'm at this dinner party, I'm thinking this is a little weird, all right? First century Jewish culture, a man, you do not make eye contact with another woman that's not your wife. And certainly you do not do that with a woman that is a prostitute. You, you really, cultural appropriation would say, you don't allow something like this to happen. This is not appropriate. This is uh, scandalous, if you will, this will be in the papers tomorrow and all over social media tonight. 27 people have already tweeted about it. And Jesus just lets it happen. So, so my question is, why does Jesus see this situation so differently than everybody else? So here's the thing. The Pharisees have eyes of judgment. That is their default setting. When the Pharisees looked at someone, they would see whatever they could see about that person that might cause them to judge them. Well, they're this or they're that or they're whatever. Jesus has eyes of love and forgiveness. That is his default setting. When he sees someone, he looks at them with love and forgiveness. And here's the deal, and, and, and this is really important. I think that I, I really felt like this week as I was preparing, this is a word for us. Eyes of love see a story and everybody has a story. That's the reality. And when you know a person's story, it changes your perspective on that person. Go to the uh, next slide, if you will. Have you guys ever seen Wicked? Who's seen Wicked? Oh, you have to go see Wicked, okay? I think it's coming back to Portland soon. Oh, it just was gone? Oh, so it's over. We should see it. So, by the way, okay, so Elphaba, the main character in Wicked, that is Eden Espinosa as Elphaba. Eden was our flower girl when we got married. When Donna and I got married, she was our flower girl. And then she was in my youth group. And then about eight years ago, uh, I had the blessing of performing her wedding. 
And so she did a, a, a run on Broadway as Elphaba. That's not part of the message. The message is this. Wicked is the prequel to the Wizard of Oz. It's what happens before the Wizard of Oz. In the Wizard of Oz, how many, how many of you have seen the Wizard of Oz? Yeah, everybody. When we, grew, we were growing up, we watched it every year. It was being TV once a year then, and we would always watch it. And in Wizard of Oz, you know, the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> My little pretty. And she's evil. She's bad. That was good, huh? That's pretty good. Uh, And you just saw, man, she is bad. She's evil. But wicked explains why she was the way she was. And in the words of Kermit the Frog, and I may be the only person to ever make this connection, so just know this is, this is what you get when you come here. But in the words of Kermit the Frog, it's not easy being green. I'm telling you, man. Look, culturally today, in certain contexts, it might not be easy to be black or to be brown. But at the end of the day, there are other black or brown people that you can relate with. Elphaba was the only green person. And as a child, she was taunted and and teased and made fun of. And it caused her heart to turn bitter. And that was her story. And that's why we see what we see in the, in the Wizard of Oz. So Jesus is at a dinner party with these Pharisees and this woman comes in. What's her story? Why did she become a prostitute? I mentioned before that sometimes uh, she may have been a widow. If, if, a, if a, a woman's husband died... There were very few opportunities in that cultural context for them to provide for themselves. And it's possible that she was a widow whose husband had passed away and she was forced into prostitution because she had to survive. It's it's also possible that she was sold into prostitution by her parents at a young age. And while that was not common, it was also not unheard of. I guarantee you this. I absolutely guarantee you that it was not her dream as a little girl to be a prostitute. When she was seven or nine or 11, she wanted to grow up to be a teacher or a doctor or an astronaut. But somewhere along the line, her dreams died. And she finds herself in the place she's in today, living this life of shame, a life of judgment, a a life of loneliness and a life of hopelessness. And, and And the reality is this, and I have to remind myself of this sometimes. Desperate people do desperate things. Occasionally, I'll, I'm going to be really honest. So I'm, I'm very blessed by our food pantry, by what we do here and caring for people in our community. But sometimes people come and I feel like, do they need to be, could, could they not do something more for themselves? Is there not some way they could, and, and I, I realize that when I think those things, I don't know always their story. And I don't know what led them to the place they're in. And I, and I have to actually repent and say, God, forgive me for even thinking that about this person. So Jesus sees her story. 
Now, I don't know how she knew about Jesus, how she heard it. She, heard, she, knew, she knew who Jesus was, and I wonder, a few weeks ago, Jesus was at a party with, it said there were sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes at that party. And I wonder, maybe she was at that party and she saw Jesus and saw something different. I don't know how she heard about him, but she figures it out. And it's interesting to me that, and, and again, I think this is maybe something for us to consider. I, I'm not trying to be, I don't want to be harsh today at all, but I just want to be real Sinners are very often attracted to Jesus. We see that. They're drawn to him. I don't see sinners being attracted to the typical pastor, church leader person today all the time. I read a book a few years ago called Tattoos on the Heart. Anybody ever read that? Tattoos on the Heart. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. I will tell you this right now. Do not read it at Starbucks or on an airplane because you will cry. I always do that. I read books. I take a book on an airplane. I get on the plane. I sit down. I start reading. I start crying. And then I feel like an idiot. Tattoos on the Heart is by a guy named Father Gregory Boyle. Gregory Boyle is an Episcopalian priest. He's Irish by descent. He's in his late 60s. He's short, fat, and bald, and has a white beard, and wears a collar. And he ministers to Latino gang members and drug addicts in Los Angeles, California. And Father Boyle walks around L.A. in places where you and I would not walk. And he's welcomed there. And sinners are drawn to him. And he's as different as night and day from the people that he's with, but they know that he loves them. And it's a profound thing to think that sinners were drawn to Jesus. So I don't know how this woman knew about Jesus, but she did. And even in just knowing who Jesus was, Something has changed inside of her. And she is not looking at Jesus the way that she looks at other men. And Jesus is not looking at her the way that other men look at her. Jesus looks at her with the purest form of love and forgiveness. He, he looks into her heart. And I'll tell you, when the eyes of Jesus look into your heart... There's a sense of peace that comes with that and it rests over you. It's a look that says everything that you've been told about yourself is wrong. And everything that you've ever believed about yourself is wrong because you, my precious daughter, are a daughter of the king. You are worth more than anything. You are not trash. You are not to be used up and thrown away. You are not disposable. You're beautiful and you're valuable and you're worth everything. And in that moment, she begins to feel like a real person again because that's what happens when we're judged and when we're labeled is that it robs our personhood from us and she begins to feel like a person again and, and she, she knows I'm loved and I'm forgiven 
And starting today, starting today, Jesus says, right now, this minute, you're a new person. You're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. Whatever you were is not what you are. You're clean and you're pure in me. Now, we don't, <clears throat> we don't know what happened after this. I don't know the rest of her story, but I'll tell you this. She was never the same again because that's what an encounter with Jesus does. It changes us. I was thinking about it. So sometimes I cry when I teach. Years ago, years ago there was a guy named Noel Alexander who's a pastor at a vineyard in Kansas City with Mike Bickle, South African guy. And Noel Alexander would cry while he was teaching the whole time, always, never stop. And he had an amazing gift because he could keep going. He could just do his message with tears just pouring down his face the whole time. And it was a little bit weird when you first saw it. But I'll never forget, and this was probably 20 years ago or more, 25. Noel Alexander saying one night, People ask why I weep when I speak. He said, 27 years ago on this date, I met Jesus and he changed my heart and I started to cry and I've never stopped. And I just thought, man, that guy's life was changed. And that's what an encounter with Jesus does. And that's what happened to this woman. Right now, today, in, in that moment, in the eyes of Jesus, she was loved and it changed everything. Simon, Simon sees something very different. Simon suffers from a disease called religion. It's a horrible disease. And he sees sin. And he sees a problem. He sees an issue. He sees a bad person. And Jesus sees a daughter of the king. And here's the thing, I'll tell you this. Simon sees Jesus with the same eyes he sees her. This guy can't be a prophet. If this guy was a prophet, how would he let this happen? But here's the kicker, and this is the thing underneath the story that I have to remind myself of, is that Jesus sees Simon with the same eyes as he sees the woman. Jesus loves Simon. Jesus understands the veil of religion. He understands the disease that Simon is suffering from, and he tells Simon this little story, this parable, and he says, you know, whoever is forgiven more loves more. That's the reality of it. He says, she loves more because she's been forgiven more. He says, Simon, when I came into your house, you didn't wash my feet. You guys know that. First century, people's feet are dirty. That was standard procedure. It's like when somebody comes to your house, you go, hey, you want something to drink? When you walk in a the house, then you, I wash, you know, wash your feet. Simon didn't do that. So Jesus was invited, but he was kind of a second-class guest. So Simon, you didn't kiss me. And again, that's just cultural. You know, we hug or handshake, they kiss. I told you, in Latin America, I love it. I walk into church in Latin America and everybody, every, every lady in the room kisses me on both cheeks. Simon didn't kiss Jesus. Her extravagant behavior was an expression of extravagant love that grew out of extravagant forgiveness. She had been forgiven much and she loved much and she's showing that love back to Jesus today. And there's something in that for us. 
Simon lacks love because Simon didn't think he needed to be forgiven. And that's the problem. She'd entered the kingdom of God because she knew she needed forgiveness. And that's how you come into the kingdom. When you know you need forgiveness, you're closer to the kingdom of God. And when you don't know you need forgiveness, you're further away. Society might look at you and say, you know, you're righteous, you're a good person. This woman was clearly not a good person and not righteous in the eyes of the society, but the kingdom recognized her, and that's why sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and everybody else is welcome into the kingdom of God before the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees think they're okay. And those other people recognize how much they need God. I don't have very much, but whatever I have, and I think that's what this woman was saying, I give it to you. I might be broken, but I believe that you can put me back together again. I know that in you and only in you can I be whole. I think that's God's word to us today. And so I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up and just say, whatever condition you're in this morning, whatever sort of place you're in, it's okay. It's okay to acknowledge that you need Jesus and you need forgiveness in your life because if we acknowledge that before him, we're just taking one step closer to the kingdom of God. And when we deny that and we don't need that, we take a step back. So why don't you guys stand? We're going to worship a little bit. I'm going to ask uh, our prayer team, even just during this last song, if you guys would go over the sides of the room. And then if you, if you would like prayer for something this morning, we would be happy to pray with you. And I would, I would say, I, you know, I, I really believe that um, there's, there's a couple people here possibly who have felt disconnected from God. You felt distant. And I want to say this morning, I believe that God is saying to you, you're closer than, I'm closer than you think. And so if you felt, if you want prayer for anything this morning, you're welcome to come for prayer. But if you have felt disconnected or distant from God, I would encourage you wholeheartedly to go over and talk to one of these guys and have them pray with you. And, 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 and know that God says, I'm a whole lot closer than you think. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.